Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. If you have a Bible handy, please open it up to the book of James. Yes, tonight we are reading from Job's words, which means we start by hearing what St. James had to say about Job. And we will begin by reading from James chapter 5, beginning in the seventh verse. And if anybody is new to this Bible study series, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. There is no end to the books and the strategies that people have for understanding the Bible, but none of those strategies has ever come close to simply letting the Bible speak for itself and letting the Scriptures teach you how to read them and understand them. So hear the word of our Lord from James 5 starting in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Because St. James tells us right off the bat that Job is steadfast, St. James wants us to see him as the role model for steadfastness in the faith. We must read the book of Job with that lens in mind. And second, the entire purpose of the Lord for the book of Job is to demonstrate that God is compassionate and merciful, which when our Lord begins to speak in the book of Job, we will be going over that theme heavily. Also, I want to note that I believe James here is referring to Job as a prophet. In one breath, he speaks of the prophets, and then he speaks of Job. This means that the experiences of most of the prophets that we may or may not be familiar with Ezekiel being forced to watch his wife die at the hand of the Lord. God kills his wife. Ezekiel having to lay there baking in the sun, getting leather skin. Jeremiah being thrown into a pit, probably a, a waste pit for feces or dead bodies. Uh, all of the suffering, including the martyrdom of Isaiah, the prophets went through something similar to what Job went through, every last one of them. So, St. James brings up the prophets, he brings up steadfastness, and then he brings up Job all in the same breath. When we read what Job has to say tonight, from chapters 27 and 28, we're going to be looking at him from that lens. He is the prophet of steadfastness in the faith. With that said, as we turn our Bibles to Job chapter 27, in the context, 
chapter 26 opens Job's final statement. His last words before Elihu comes in to speak, and after Elihu is done, then God decides to speak to Job and his friends. Here is Job laying out his final case, his final reassurances, everything he is getting up to with his protest. But as we noted last, last week, he is becoming a better man as he speaks. At first, it's just, curse the day that I was born and conceived. Curse it all. I hope that I die. God has declared himself to be my enemy. And then it goes into, why is God not paying attention to the wicked like he has paid attention to me, etc. and so forth. But then eventually, as Job steals himself, and decides he is going to hold on to God until he gets an answer. He's not letting go. The more we see him doing that, the more we see him speaking of the poor. The more we, speak, we see him talking about God's glory. And today, we're going to see him continue in that trajectory. So, hear the word of our Lord from Job chapter 27. We're going to read this chapter go over it, and read the next chapter and go over it, starting in verse 1. And Job again took up his discourse and said, As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. Let my enemy be as the wicked, and let him who rises up against me be as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he take delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you concerning the hand of God what is with the Almighty I will not conceal. Behold, all of you have seen it yourselves. Why then have you become altogether vain? This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage that oppressors receive from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword and his descendants have not enough bread. Those who survive him, the pestilence buries, and his widows do not weep. Though he heap up silver like dust, and pile up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the righteous will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth that a watchman makes. He goes to bed rich, but will do so no more. He opens his eyes, and his wealth is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood. In the night a whirlwind carries him off. The east wind lifts him up, and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls at him without pity. He flees from its power in headlong flight. It claps its hands at him and hisses at him from its place. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we're going to tackle chapter 27 before moving on to chapter 28. It says, Job again took up his discourse in the first verse. 
Chapter 26 says, Then Job answered and said, that was an immediate response to what his friend Bildad the Shuhite said to him. But now that he's responded to what Bildad says, now it's time to finally just address everything. Job has had enough. He has exploded at his friends, and now it is time for no more words on their part. He is going to give a speech. He's going to sum up everything because he is tired of hearing them point their fingers at him with their words, saying, you are guilty, 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 and you must repent. So after having blurted everything out in the 26th chapter, he composes himself, takes a deep breath, and says, As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter. This is an important verse. This is an oath. Whenever you see somebody say, As God lives, like when the high priests say, We adjure you by the living God as they interrogate our Lord Christ. When Abraham's servant Genesis 24 says, as the Lord lives, this is an oath. This is Job saying, I am not budging, so help me God. May God strike me dead if I do. And indeed, he really feels this way because Job tells us about his moral quandary. In verse 3, as long as my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. It would be sinful for Job to lie at this point. His friends want him to fess up to some sin that he isn't aware of. If he just pretended to be guilty, he would be bearing false witness against himself. So he says in verse 5, Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. This is the rock and the hard place that Job is stuck between in this book. Either he confesses to sins that he did not commit, and sins in the process of doing this, in the hopes that some white flag will appease God and God restores him. Or on the other hand, he stubbornly turns away from God or blasphemes God, says, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Look what you did to me. Instead of going either to the right or the left, Job says, I am going to hold on to my integrity. He's admitted prior to this in this book, he has sinned, yet God has said in the very first chapter that he is blameless. So Job has to simply hold on and trust God. He can do no other. As painful as this is, Job instead remains steadfast. He's not letting go of God, and he's not going to lie to God or to anybody else in order to worm his way out of his situation. So in verse 7, he says, Let my enemy be as the wicked, and let him who rises up against me be as the righteous. For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? He says to 
uh, Eliphaz, to Bildad, and to Zophar, I'm not going to lie. But at the same time, I am not going to abandon God. What is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off? I would have no hope if I decided to just leave and become a pagan, if I deconverted or something like that, or if I just didn't talk to God anymore, if I stopped caring about him. That's not going to work. There's no hope there. There's nothing there. Have you ever wondered about those people out there who decide to leave God and leave the faith because of the sufferings that they go through? I mean, obviously, when they say it's because of all the evil in the world, it's always an afterthought. It's something they decided to do because they already decided to leave the faith. But they always bring that up, saying, I'm, I'm going to say there is no God because of all the bad things that happen. Well, you just went out of the frying pan and into the fire. You went from believing in God and having a hard time wrestling with how God has permitted things to happen into your life to saying there's no hope for you whatsoever and evil things just happen willy-nilly and nothing good is going to come out of this. What a foolish decision, says Job the prophet. There's no hope there. Verse 9, will God hear his cry when distress comes upon him? The answer is no. God will not hear you if you abandon him. Will he take delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? No. So who's going to help you? I will teach you concerning the hand of God. What is with the Almighty I will not conceal. Job's friends have been so concerned to this entire book that Job is utterly wicked now. That his process of going through this suffering, losing absolutely everything, will turn his heart away from God. So they're urging him to repent so that he does not suffer something worse than he already has. And here Job says, no, I still believe in God. And I know that it does not go well with the wicked. And he gives us this description of it. This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage that oppressors receive from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword. He says, those who survive him, the pestilence buries and his widows do not weep. He says, ultimately bad things happen to these people. You might notice he complained earlier about the prosperity of the wicked. He said, how come they're not getting punished right now? How come I never get to see that? I never get that cathartic experience of seeing all of the wicked slain or anything. But God decides that he's going to punish me for something I didn't even do. Now Job has changed his tone. And he confesses that God is just. And that all of those wicked people... They don't have something good coming, either in this life or in the next. They will receive the due reward and penalty for their actions. At first, Job asks, why aren't you doing this to evil people instead? Now, as God has been sanctifying him, Job says, I know that my God is just. And that's another thing I'm not going to budge on. That is another hill that I am not going to survive on if somebody attacks on me. I will die on this hill if I have to, that God is just. And even if it's not in this life, it is in the next. Verse 20, 
terrors overtake him like a flood. In the night a whirlwind carries him off. The east wind lifts him up and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls at him without pity. He flees from its power in headlong flight. It claps its hands at him and hisses at him from its place. Even when the wicked die, he goes to bed rich, but will do so no more. Verse 19, he's speaking of after their death. Job says, no, there's punishment for them. And he compares it to the east wind. The east wind is the Sirocco, or a hot, buggy, disgusting desert wind that irritates people. It afflicts people in the Near East. It is not a pleasant experience. And Job is saying, even in the afterlife, these guys who never turned to God are going to experience torment. Job has told us, here is my rock, here is my hard place. All I can do is trust in God and hold on to him. But in case, my dear friends, you need to know, finally, yes, I trust God. And I know I said some words about justice, but let's lay this out. I believe he is a just God. I wouldn't be appealing to him if I didn't believe that. And then he moves on to chapter 28, starting in the first verse. Surely there is a mine for silver, and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth, and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness, and searches out the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness." He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread. But underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. The path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden on it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the stream so they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says it is not in me, and the sea says it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, and precious onyx or sapphire gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia, in the Hebrew it's Cush, cannot equal it nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where, then, does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it, he established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord 
that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Job shifts tone yet again. He starts with saying, this is my situation, I'm holding fast to God. Then he says, but I know God is just, he doesn't let wickedness go unpunished, he will give me my right. In verse 2 he said, of chapter 27, he says, as God lives who has taken away my right, but then he goes into God's justice and he says, that's not me, those wicked people, that's not me. So something different's going to happen here. And then he shifts again to wisdom. Now surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. People dig. People go looking for precious things. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. How beautiful of a verse is that, verse 3. If mankind can be proud of anything, it is that we are so curious that we have explored every sea, all of the land, we've dug into the earth, we have strip-mined entire mountains just to find out what's there and what we can take from these resources under the earth. Man puts an end to the darkness. We are seeking things out. He opens a shaft in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air. We've been doing this so long, you see, seeking out the treasures of the earth, seeking out what may be found in the abysses. The people I've even forgotten were previous things, previous shafts, previous mines have been. It's so long that we've been going about this that I would say it probably goes back to Adam as Adam, being the first explorer of the earth, had to go make a living some way to provide for his wife and children, he had to learn. He had to discover. And Job says, this is something we've always done. The path no bird of prey knows. The falcon's eye has not seen it, verse 7. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Nobody does this but man. Verse 9, man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the stream so they do not trickle. We have been doing this and nobody else does. Question for everybody listening. Have you ever seen a parakeet with a pickaxe going into the mines trying to search for diamonds and gold and rubies? Do monkeys dig giant pits in the hopes of finding something of value? Even stone, quarry stone for concrete. No, they don't. The fish aren't interested in it. The birds that just see everything, they don't go exploring. They have no need of it. Only we do that. But, he says in verse 12, where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding. Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. We've explored everything for as long as mankind has been around, but here we are completely unable to find wisdom. You can't find wisdom in a pile of dirt. You just can't. Maybe you can observe things and glean a little bit of wisdom from seeing animals fighting, but that's not it. That's not the thing that we all know we really want. Wisdom. 
a way to live well. The deep says it's not in me, and the sea says it is not with me. He makes all these comparisons, speaking of the extreme value of wisdom in verse 15. It's gold. It's better than gold. Verse 16, it's more precious than onyx or sapphire. Golden glass cannot equal it. Does this sound familiar? The book of Proverbs speaks of the extreme value of wisdom. The Psalms speak to us about what is really valuable. And it's not found in worldly riches or materials or rare earth metals or anything like that. Even the topaz of Cush or Ethiopia cannot can't even compare with it. And Ethiopia was known for its great treasures. So from where, verse 20, does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? He repeats himself from verse 12. Where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Verse 20, where then does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding? He says, where is this? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Interestingly, verse 22, Abaddon and death say we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. Writing a full 1100 years after Job wrote these words, King Solomon at his deathbed is going to be writing Ecclesiastes. And he's going to jump off of what Job says here. Abaddon and death say we have heard a rumor of it, wisdom with our ears. Maybe death can teach you a little bit about wisdom, but can death give you wisdom? Can you find it while dying? Of course not. That's, that's the end point of your earthly life. It's the afterlife after that. It's judgment. Either you're going to go abide with God or you're going into Hades. So death and Abaddon might speak of it. Maybe you can learn some things regarding wisdom there, but there is no wisdom in death or in dying. That's the book of Ecclesiastes, almost in a nutshell. We can learn from our own mortality. It's good to think about that, but there isn't real wisdom there. God understands the way to it, though. Verse 23, and he knows its place. The only one that can really tell you where wisdom is, or what wisdom is, is God. After all, being the creator of everything, he alone is truly unmistakably and infinitely wise. He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything out of the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, if you have read Job before, this is all going to sound incredibly familiar. When God speaks to Job, when we get to that, we'll be going into this in depth, does God tell Job anything he doesn't know? Not quite. God speaks of creation. He speaks of his mighty power in God's speech in this book. But here, Job is telling us that he knows God is the almighty creator. The conclusion that he's drawn from it is not exactly the same as the conclusion God tells Job to have in the midst of that. But we must keep in mind from verses like these, from verse 23 through 27, that God is not 
informing Job of creation and how God created. God is reminding Job. He's reminding him of what he knows and guiding him to the proper conclusion, much in the same way that God has been doing through this whole book. Behold, verse 28, He, God, said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. This is the first book of the Bible to be written. How many times have we seen uh, pastors preach regarding it and saying from Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, to turn away from evil is understanding, or they'll be preaching from the Psalms, singing the Psalms. When King David gives us that wisdom, Job said it first. God said it first, first. Job is merely recounting what God has declared to all of mankind. Do you want to be wise? Do you want to say that you have wisdom? Well, it's not going to be something you get from sages. It is going to be something that you get from your fear of the Lord and turning away from evil. That is wisdom. Job records this before any other biblical author. Do you see now why I believe St. James refers to Job as a prophet? To bring this up, and not only a prophet, but an example of steadfastness and the sanctification that comes with this. Job has spoken first to God saying, I want an answer, but I ask that you remove the fear of you, the terror of you away from me. Said that just about ten chapters ago. He said, could you make sure that I'm not terrified of you in the midst of this? And now he's changed his tone again. He goes, wait, no. I need to fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom. That is wisdom. To fear God and turn away from evil. Now I am standing steadfast in my integrity because I know that I am innocent of whatever it is I am accused of. But we have to fear God. Do you see the change that's happening in his heart? Where he's willing to say, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust that he is just. And that he makes things right regarding the wicked and the righteous. He was skeptical of it just a few chapters ago. Just a couple of conversations ago with Bildad and with Zophar, he just said, I'm not seeing it. And now he's like, no, it's the case. It is the truth. God is just. I'm going to hold on to that. And now he says, where once I said, I want the fear of God removed from me so we can have this conversation. Now he says, no, no, I need to fear him because that is wisdom. We will continue on with Job's final speech in this book next week, going over two more chapters. And I would say it's a safe bet to say we're going to see him become even better of a man. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.